to his Soho debut. Please. See this anger you feeling towards white people is the same anger brothers feel towards me for being gay. Well, how'd someone like you end up sleeping in a shelter? You know, a respected, published writer of the Harlem Renaissance. You wrote about being gay in that time. Respect was the last thing he was going to get. Just be a nut job with a really vivid imagination. He's for real, all right. Yeah. Look at you. An old man like me is game for a little adventure. You should be too. This is what proper Negroes do with trash like you. Who do you think you are? Welcome to CBN Movie Night. I am your host, Rain Coleman, uh, the Carefree Black Nerd. This podcast is a Carefree Black Nerd movie club where we review and critique movies, both nostalgic and current. Today I have with me uh, Mr. Marcus Hayes. Now this man needs no introduction, but I'm going to let you introduce yourself, young man. Go ahead and let folks know who's on the show with me today. Okay, so as he said, my name is Marcus Haynes. I am an author, an instructor, a blogger, academic, pretty much anything that you can think of. I probably have some hands in it. Um, primarily, I guess I do come across as a connoisseur of black speculative <laughs> fiction and black gay stuff. So here, you can follow me at at Loose as a Deuce on pretty much everything, and you can hear me talk about more of Black Spank Pick and Black Gay stuff. So. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Uh, <clears throat> pleasure to have you on today, young man. And uh, everyone, those links will be in the show notes as usual, so make sure to check those out uh, while, you're, while you're listening. Go ahead and look at some of that stuff and uh, live tweet and all that. But today we will be discussing the early 2000s, uh, I think, underrated classic film, Brother to Brother. Yes, yes. Okay, now y'all, before getting started, I want everyone under the sound of our voice to use the hashtag CBN Movie Night when you're listening to this episode, maybe even CBN Movie Club, whichever one. Uh, when you're listening to this episode, share your thoughts and your opinions on this episode, on the movie. Uh, if you've never seen the movie before, let us know that and explain why, Explain yourself. Uh, be <laughs> and whatever questions we may ask each other during the recording, make sure to give your answers as well. Make this a conversation. Okay, so a little bit about the film. In this film, Perry is a would-be painter struggling to find his voice as an artist and his identity as a black gay man. Perry is Falcon Cap uh, Perry, uh, Anthony Mackie. <laughs> now, when his disapproving father kicks him out, he winds up in a homeless shelter where he meets a sympathetic gay poet named Bruce. That is Roger Robinson, rest in peace, he just passed last year, uh, 2018, I think July it said, um, as they get to know each other. Now Perry learns that Bruce was at the center of the 1920s and 30s Harlem Renaissance and faced many of the same prejudices and challenges in his day that Perry faces now and coincidentally that a lot of us are facing in 2019. Uh, so this movie was released on November 5th of 2004. The budget was an estimated 2,500,000. Uh, opening weekend in the U.S., it made 9245 I believe it was reported. And it made a total of 80960 or six at the box office worldwide. 
Whew. Um, you with thoughts? <laughs> what you think? <laughs> Okay, all right. <laughs> now, this is a drama that looks back on the Harlem Renaissance from the perspective of an elderly black writer who meets a gay teenager in a New York homeless shelter. Uh, first and foremost, I do want to mention the homeless shelter part. I don't know if that's the thing that got me in the description or the synopsis of the show because that didn't feel like that was the case. Now, I'm not saying that they're lying. But I think in my head, I have this preconceived notion of what a homeless shelter is and what it looks like. So when they um, emphasized that they met there, I don't know. It it didn't seem. It seemed more like a hostel to me. And Anthony Mackie's character was, to my knowledge, never living in the homeless shelter. Was he not in college in a dorm? No. When you, because I looked this up. Um, as well, like before the conversation, and then mm-hmm. when you read it again, it just made me think, like, what? I thought he was in school. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean yes, you know, some dorms look like homeless shelters, but <laughs> like, I was pretty sure that he was in school, and honestly, he met he met the guy like on the street. Yeah, so like, he, he, figured, he figured out who he was. Yeah, you know, um, in the homeless thing, but like. They met each other on the street, like listened to his friend recite of yeah, you know, his work. Yeah. So I'm like, where was this spoke? I don't. I didn't really get that. Yeah. Uh, neither did I. But I, I'm gonna let them make it with that yeah. part, cause it. Well, I I do remember. Okay, maybe I'm maybe I'm reaching, but I remember when kind of jumping ahead, the white guy asked him about the was that lady his mom. He was like, no, she ran the the. The shelter that I worked for, was it foster kid shelter or something? So I assume maybe he, well, I'm not even going to, I'm not going to worry about that hell. Um, yeah. This was a lot. Like, are you, are you, are you kind of like saying that maybe he was there and then got into college? See, no, because I'm thinking, I thought my understanding from watching the film, not even the synopsis was that Perry was in college, but also worked at a shelter. I didn't think it was a... I thought it was like maybe a men's hostel situation. Like that was his part-time job while in school. That's what it seemed like. So, yeah, I, I'm going to go with that. That's a new headcanon. He works <laughs> at a at a hostel. Um, so, what are your first impressions of this film? Like, have you seen this before? I would imagine you have. Uh <laughs> And like, what what did it give you? What was your first impression when you first saw it versus when we rewatched it for this recording? Okay, so I have to be—I have to first be honest. Go ahead. I saw this movie maybe two years ago for the first time. Okay, fair. Um, and randomly, I was because I have Xfinity, and Xfinity does this thing during Pride Month to <laughs> get access to a whole bunch of uh, a whole bunch of movies and TV shows. Yeah. So, you know, being who I am, I was, I was going through those, trying to find some black gay movies. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And this was like one of the, what, like five that I found. Right. So, mm-hmm. that's, that's another part of the conversation. Yes. Um, so, I, uh, so, I clicked on it, and I watched it, and I was like, this is good. Why have I heard of this? Very. <laughs> and, like, before, before the movie even ended, I had already ordered the DVD on Amazon. So. mm, mm. Um, so for it was it made a big impact. Like I really, really enjoyed this movie. And yeah. watching it again for this, this reminds me like I love this movie. Yes. 
you you know it really gives me a very love jones vibe yeah. um and not necessarily in subject matter but just in everything else i am a sucker for 80s and 90s aesthetic uh clothing music like the music really amplified this film for me the jazz even the like hip-hop instrumentals of that time um I love this film, and even though it is a very important part of the film, the flashbacks to the Harlem Renaissance, if those were only told via exposition and never seen, I still think this would be a great film. Um, I love it. I'm a fan. <laughs> I am a fan. Uh, okay, so for me, I had seen this, and I can't remember when for the first time it had been a few years ago, and it was on Netflix, so I had to actually buy this on Amazon myself to watch it and I'm happy I did so it is now part of my collection but when I watched it on Netflix it much like you I I saw the cover art then I realized it was Anthony Mackie and I of course was familiar with him through the Marvel movies and such but once it started all I needed was that opening scene that the 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 what am I saying the um film quality not that it's poor but it's very much set in late 90s early 2000s the clothing the music the acting the, the one of the guys who were first introduced to has on like this blue vest sweater vest with like a long sleeve that was very much part of my wardrobe when i was like in the ninth grade so <laughs> i i love this film and to this day i still like it and i don't understand i mean i do but i don't understand why there were not more films like this. Why this film was not um, marketed better. Because if it came out in 2004, I was approximately junior in high school age. There were a lot of things coming out back then. So it's not like you said, oh, the internet makes everything more accessible. No, this, I feel like this could have been seen or could have had a wider reach or could have been. With the gays alone, you ain't about to tell me that this movie could not have done better. But when this came out, how, about how old were you when this film came out? You said I was just I was just trying to calculate that. Yeah. Um, I think I probably would have just got into high school. Okay. I probably was a freshman in high school, and, and oh, honestly, probably at that point in time, I wouldn't have. <laughs> I probably wouldn't have dared to try to go find this movie. But oh. <laughs> yes, yes, no, no, for real, I, I get it. Times were different back then. <laughs> <laughs> Time where I, where I would steal Duncan Dodge and watch a logo late at night. So. See, okay, come on, Noah's Ark, you better say that. Uh, <laughs> yes, yes, no, I feel that on a subatomic level. Goddamn it, this film feels like to me. This film walked so that all these gay and indie web series could run because you get so much, and I, I don't. I would venture to assume that a lot of people, even who are doing like the independent film and web stuff and whatnot, have not been aware of this film. Um, I wish I would. Maybe I could take a poll to see, like, on Twitter, rather, who has seen this film, but who knows about this film. And with Anthony Mackie being such a integral part, well, now with Disney Plus coming up or having come up at the time of this recording. I, I'm I'm hoping that more people, because he will be Captain America, will look more to his filmography and and come across this film because I just I think it's worth it. I think it's and worth it. Like 
even if even if a lot of them, a lot of these like indie creators or what have you, haven't seen this movie, like when you look at it, it has that same sort of feel. Yes. It has that same feel and that you see in a lot of these indie web series. Right. Know, especially especially the ones that actually you know take the time to build mm-hmm. stories and not just make themselves, you know, yeah. going with the storyline. Right. Um, but <laughs> it does like we get a lot of sort of like a lot of that indie vibe and a lot of that like, you know, I have something to say mm-hmm. and I'm say this in my own artistic type of way. Yes. Yes. Um one scene in particular that I do want to, well, I guess it's the collection of scenes, the very first, like, maybe two minutes of the film. don't get beat over the head like if you didn't if you did not read the synopsis of this film and you just turned it on i think anybody with common sense would understand what is happening perry anthony mackie is on a train he is sketching or writing something on a pad and is making eyes with this guy across the train car in front of him that is something that's something i really liked about this movie because in the day and age where everybody is asking for or giving lip service to wanting inclusion and diversity, but then when it is presented, there's a particular population of people who are losing their minds because why are you pushing this down our throats? If you exchange Anthony Mackie's character, Perry, and the guy he was looking at with just a average cisgendered heterosexual couple, and the scene would play exactly the same. Mm-hmm. So... The the gay aspect of it, I felt like, was treated with care throughout the entire film, especially a film that is, though released in 2004, was probably made about or thought about or, or developed about the late 90s going into the 2000s. Um, I really enjoyed that. And then when he goes home, because he only goes home one time and is met with who I assume is his disapproving father, though that man was probably gay as well. just coming to get some books out of the basement. I told you not to step foot anywhere near this house. But I need them for school. Anything you left in this house, the 
does not exist. Now get out of my sight. But speak of the, the beginning of this film, because the opening, I, I think, in its subtlety, is so powerful. <laughs> I cackled at the beginning because <laughs> of how relatable and how like easily understandable that little exchange was. Yes. And if I'm not mistaken, I think um, that Bruce's character was on the train with them. Yeah. And Pete. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, um, so, like, that whole... For me, kind of like what, what you're getting to us, like that opening of the movie, um, really just sort of like enco- um, en- encompassed, mm-hmm. really just like what that experience was and in many ways still is. It's like, you know, you go and you try to try to peep, trying to see, you know, who, unless who you can clock with that, what have you. Yeah. You know, so, so pe- people who know what to, what to look for. Yes. Yes. You know, you may not. <laughs> so, like, you're just trying to live your life in a, in a way that is indistinguishable from how any other cishet, you know, couple or yeah. young people would. But there's always that layer of, oh, you know, there's someone who there's someone who's going to be against you. There's mm-hmm. going to be that disapproving father, that disapproving mother, that, you know, that angry classmate, whatever, what have you. Yeah. So, it's, it really just kind of just, in just those first couple scenes, like, we set the stage, and you know what's happening, you mm-hmm. have good, and if you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, you vibe with it, and I appreciate the fact that, as you said, it wasn't, it wasn't, like, over the top, mm-hmm. but if you, if you have anything similar to that experience, you, you felt it. Yeah, it is, <clears throat> excuse me, it is... A few things, a few more things, rather. Um, I think one, it does a really good job at kind of uh, amplifying that relationship between an older um, generation of a uh, a group with uh, with Bruce. But then, as you said, with the subtlety, it's showing that we have to wear so many hats. To date this podcast, there is constantly, God, every other day there's a conversation about what if a woman who's having sex with her heterosexual partner sticks a finger in his ass? What if a man stuck the dick once and he didn't like it? Does that make him gay? There's all these conversations that force this thing, for lack of a better term, onto us, people who are in this queer community, to have to wear these different hats to maneuver in a space in a way that our cis heterosexual counterparts do not. So the fact that we got this subtle smile and nod, we see Bruce looking at them, and then immediately after you have this man going home to the same disapproving space that he is encountering throughout the rest of this film, throughout the rest of his life, I would assume, is... This was a... His life. His life. Jesus Christ. Um, I think Anthony Mackie did a damn good job in this film. Um, I think he did a really good job. I don't know what the direction was like, what the director was like. I don't know what... There are a lot of people who are clearly, well, at least for my perception, queer in this film. So I would imagine that it was written with care and handled with care. But Anthony Mackie did a really good job, I feel, with Perry, with the Perry character. So I actually went and um, I actually went and kind of looked that up, mm-hmm. uh, like 
the honestly, outside of maybe Andrew Ellis and Anthony Mackie, mm-hmm. you know, the jury's still out on that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I, I think that pretty much everybody that saw it in this movie was queer in some sort of way. Okay. Because uh, I looked up the director and I looked up a couple of his other projects. Mm-hmm. It was directed and produced by this and written by this guy named Rodney Evans. Mm-hmm. And he's done a couple of other, like, he's done a couple of other specifically black, but um, queer films mm-hmm. since then. And I think he even did some short films before this. And then looking up, like, I found a couple of the actors on, like, social media. Yeah. Uh, like, looking up, particularly the ones that, that group that plays the, uh, the, the, well, the two, Young Bruce and Young. Yeah, uh, Langston and them. Yeah, Langston and them. Like, they're all, you know, they're all in the family. Okay. So, so I think that there was a lot of authenticity that was brought to this, mm-hmm. and I think that definitely shines through. And even even in the characters that you know aren't, as far as we know, yeah, aren't, um, like they really, like you said, took their time, were very respectful. Because yeah, honestly, I was looking at this and said, this is some high quality acting, man. Yeah, yeah, I, oh, for real, for sure. Like I feel like this movie could be. <sighs> remade today two different ways it could be remade today in the same time period so you can take actors today and recreate that late 90s early 2000s film or you can take the actual project and remake it today uh with a sliding timeline uh or whatever like the x-men and shit but you know incorporate newer things like iphones or whatever else and, and just find an interesting way to make a lot of the same complications complicated but i think it's a Dare I say, damn near perfect film. Um, just, just out of curiosity, because now you got me thinking. Mm-hmm. So, if this film was remade today, like say it was set today, yeah, um, and you like still the same overall idea, like mm-hmm. of a young of a um, young gay person mm-hmm. being kind of mentor about older gay person. You know, Bruce and them were from the Harlem Renaissance. Yeah, if this film was made today. Where would the older person like? They would have to be someone younger, which I think would make that a bit more interesting. So when I say younger, I mean Bruce is still because he passed at 78. So the Bruce character, however old he was in the past, it would be it would have to be someone who was much younger. And I and I say that because we as society have a history of kicking out our queer kids. So even if that motherfucker was like, I say 11, 10 or 11. Because you, when you look at the house culture, the ballroom scene, you have people who have been kicked out early on and had to go into these um, self-created families, and you have people who are extremely young. And I think that would give it a different, um, uh, it, let me see, it would be a different mood almost because you would have, you would tell the story, this, let's say, 60-year-old man, or how, however he would be in present day, uh, looking back on experiences that he had when he was an adolescent. And though some people might give it pushback, the fact is that is what happens. You do have kids who, heterosexual and homosexual, who get kicked out of their homes and have to grow up fast. So why should this story be any different? So I could see someone, like I said, 10, 11 years old back then, experiencing this Harlem Renaissance space and then translating that to, which would give us another element where though i'm not growing up with the langston hughes and what have you i'm growing up uh post them because i become 
and uh, a grown man during the time when they're getting older, who's to say I'm not caring for them and also have my new circle of friends from the 40s and 50s? And what does that look like? So I, I think it it could it could it could be done. Yeah, that would that, that'd be very interesting. It could like be done. not necessarily somebody who lived through this. Yeah. Well, you did live through it, but right on the cusp. Who was like actively a part of this, but somebody who like saw this, mm-hmm. something like the aftermath. Yeah, because I mean that is our truth now. Hell, you have people who. Uh, I, I think we're to the point where some of us, you and our, you and I, um, our age group, some of our maybe great grandparents may have been slaves, like that generation. And as they die out, we're still living and we still have those stories. It's just not as firsthand as it used to be. So I think it could work. It could work. Uh, so what are you thinking about Marcus? Perry has a friend, Marcus, who is uh, a poet. You know, he's very much a lyricist, and we meet them on a stoop, spitting, spinning, I don't know, reciting a poem to Perry uh, as Bruce walks up. What are are our thoughts on the straight friend? Well, I have to first say that he has a fantastic name. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But, um, I mean, I don't know. I, I wish I could remember what I thought about him the first time I mm-hmm. watched Black Dome. I, I just remember what I thought about him when I watched it for this. Yeah. Um, and on the one hand, like, okay, I'm basing most of this off of that very first conversation where we see him. Yeah. And like, last conversation at the end. Mm-hmm. And like, that first conversation, I was like, when he was, you know, he was trying to explain him, like, yo, everybody's not out to get you. Yeah. Look at all these I have done for you, blah, blah, blah. Mm. and I was like, <laughs> I see where you're going. Yeah, and I and I rock with what you're going. Yeah, but this is gaslighting, like as a motherfucker. Yeah, <laughs> like I'm like, okay, I get it. I, I I understand that you know you have been there for him, and I you know I appreciate you. I'm sure he appreciates you too. Mm. But that doesn't change the fact that when he's not with you, it's a completely different story. Which we saw. And we saw that, you know, if, well, yeah. this is a discussion, so I'm going to say it. We saw that at the end when he got jumped. Yeah. Like, he had just left dude, and dude was, frankly, on some bullshit anyway. Mm-hmm. But he had left him, and he wasn't around. The, the, the straight friend wasn't around. And lo and behold, the world was against him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think, he, I, think he's, I think he's one of those people that, you know, mean well. I think he generally really did mean well. Okay. But just don't, just don't have the range. Yeah, so, at all. And this, you know, and I think, I think probably at the point in time when this movie first came out, you know, that was that was the movie. Like they mm-hmm. probably saw him as best friend. You know, he's down yeah. for him. You know, like that's what you're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But I think now, in you know, looking back with 2019 eyes, we see that yeah, maybe not so much. Yeah. Yeah. No, um, you're absolutely right. I I liked him. I liked everything that he stood for. But when he started, so the thing is, Perry is um, talking about how the world is against him and how he does have to maneuver in this space of being this queer guy. And Marcus is, which this comes off the heel of Marcus performing at this Love Jones ass club, and then this white guy comes up to him and is like, "Oh, you know, I loved your work, and you know, this was great, and the struggle, and this and that." And and Marcus is an immediately like upset. He's his body language and everything. He's not trying to hear this shit. 
And he's saying, well, Perry's like, okay, well, he is a fan. He appreciated you. You talk about white people, and this is one who was, you know, for you. Marcus' issue is, how this motherfucker going to tell me about my struggle? I know my struggle. I went through it. I told him this. And on that part, I'm, I don't know how I'm feeling 100%, but I am like, well, there's one thing to be upset with white people because they do enough to be upset with about. But in this instance, you performed and your art in front of a group of people who are going to give you their opinions. And not that you asked for it, but if there was a black boy who said the exact same thing to him in this space, I'm like, oh, are you, why are you, I, but it's, it's, it's consistent with his character. Yeah, yeah, I mean, at the, at the same time, it's, it's just like you said, like, you're performing, you are, it's, just to be honest, you know, as a writer or whatever, what have you, it's black people that when they come talk to me, I'll be like, what are you saying? Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I feel like that's a, I feel like that should be a, okay, I feel like that, that could be a universal thing for okay. creatives to be like, oh, well, you, know, you don't have to explain to me what I did. Okay. I, I feel like that could be a universal thing. Mm-hmm. And if that was, and if he, you know, said that to everybody, then okay, you know, it's just the type of creator that he is. Mm-hmm. But she does, I know he does that. You know, right. Because of the rest of his character. I feel like he just singled out that white guy. And I'm really not trying to be up here depending on white people. Oh, at all. No tears for him. <laughs> but it's like, Dude didn't really do nothing to you. He didn't do nothing different than what anybody else would. Yeah, just show appreciation. Um, and right off the heels of that, Perry's like, okay, what was the issue? I don't need him to tell him about my story. And then they get into the discussion about gay people, about the world that he walks in. And he's like, oh, you know, I was there for you when we played Little League and uh, you hit the ball and you missed and you cried and people was trying to jump in and out. And I, my immediately, my immediate reaction was disgust. I was like, "Nigga, what the fuck does that have to do with what this white man just said to you?" Absolutely not. Oh, then he proceeds to give more examples, and I'm like, "Do you not understand? Y'all not joined at the hip. You being the exception to the rule does not make the rule wrong. Does not make the rule any less the rule." That's worse. I was man. I was like, "Okay, fam." So again, like much like you, I do understand that back then that was probably you know kudos to him, but. That's and what I want people to do is when you see situations like this and you don't understand that that is wrong, just switch the characters. If Perry was a woman, if a woman was like, well, you know, men always cat calling me and they grab me and this and that, and he's like, well, I don't do that. When they're around, I I get them off of you. Well, she still exists when you're not around. Same thing with white folks. If you need to try to understand it, think of a white woman in the place of Perry and a white man in the place of Mark. Like, whatever you have to do to make it make sense to you, to make it click, do that. But I was like, man, you don't get no brownie points. (laughs) You're being terrible. Uh, I don't know. And he says, I'm looking for a brother for you. I got my eyes out. Man, when do you have your eyes out for him looking for a black man? Or is this a rom com? I would trust whoever he picked out. Sam, because I at all, at all. Um, oh, taking a few steps back, we do get to the classroom where we meet our antagonist um, and our lovable, likable sidekick. I guess there's a white guy. I forget his name, but he is the. I think it's Jim or something. He's the friend, and he's coded as heterosexual. Um, he's a grungy looking white guy, doesn't look terrible, but you know, hair all over his head and shit, whatever. And 
we get the conversation about queer people in history, um, how they've been silenced, and so their stories have been silenced. And the guy, what's I don't know if you remember the black guy's name, who is his adversary or his classroom villain, I, whatever, whoever, he is giving pushback at every step of the road. And the funny thing is the conversation that they are having, we are still having. So Perry is discussing queer people in history who have contributed to so many black power movements who have been silenced. And the guy in the classroom is discussing, well, what about black people and police brutality? It's the same conversation. And it's the same conversation we're having today. So I don't know, fam. Um, so that happens. Uh, and the guy is off-putting. I did not like him. I understood his purpose, and he served his purpose. Um, I, I don't know, man. What? Okay, I just found him. I was I, I had to find his name now because I want to talk about him. His name is Rashawn. Okay. Um, Rashawn is trash. Yeah. Um, <laughs> blank, like because once again, like one. Is, is is like we see the we see what's what's even really what's even wilder about what um what uh, Marcus said was immediately before he says that mm-hmm. we see what happened so it's like we're watching that and it's mm-hmm. like what you're saying doesn't make sense because we just saw this happen mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like I don't know because I I teach college so I don't know I I, I can't fathom a student being like. What you just, what you have just said, everything that you have just said is absolutely irrelevant. Like you have said nothing. Like why do I even have to listen to this? Mm. Like you know, you can disagree with somebody without what have you, mm. but to sit up, it'd be like you finna take over this classroom space and mm. be like you. Why do I have to listen to you? Mm. Like bro, where you, where do you get the gall? Like, literally, who are you? <laughs> um, mm. And the fact, the fact that. He yeah he but he's so many people like a lot of the shit that they both were saying back and forth i imagine if this movie was shot today it would be tweets on their computer because it's exactly like the whole conversation the exact same the stuff you see you can straight up pull up any tweet thread and you'll see some of these same conversations yes yes indeed and it's God, it's sad. Like I said, this movie is from 2004. I'd say maybe the script maybe wrote a couple years before, before it came to fruition. So let's just say 99. 99, 2000, we're still having the same conversations two decades later. Um, yeah. Damn. And they st- it's sad. Uh, we get, so pretty much what I've come to realize is that Anthony, excuse me, Perry, just wanted to be in love. He eventually says he just wanted a boyfriend, but he wants to be in love. And that is, once I realized that, because I watched it through just enjoying the film, but once I realized he was struggling to find the one thing that with the American dream is like the unspoken rule that this is what you have. You go to high school, go to college, get a husband or a wife, 2.5 2.5 kids, a nice career, white picket fence. Like, that is the American dream that has been 
grilled into us forever and a day. And he just wants a piece of that. And just by nature of him wanting that and who he is makes him a target. Physically, emotionally, hell, cut off from his family. We see a flashback where his father catches him with some guy. Well, he has a type because this is a fair-skinned person. <laughs> and there's something to be unpacked there as well. Why? But your, your love affair is not reflected in your self. Um his, yeah, let's let's do. Uh, but yeah, his father whoops his ass and puts him out. Uh, I will say I think they did a really good job with the flashbacks in this film. Not only the Harlem Renaissance flashbacks, but the ones about Perry. Like we didn't need to see some long drawn out abusive, like physically. We didn't need to. We got that in one point, and it served its purpose. We didn't have to see his father whooping his ass. We just saw a very intense, maybe minute worth of scene and that was it so yeah. i do appreciate that yes enough of us live that yeah <laughs> see that you know for extended periods of time yes yes uh man so bruce uh anthony anthony shit perry goes to the library <laughs> and finds a poem that Bruce had said to him and Marcus earlier. And I do like that Bruce just constantly pops up. At first I was like, what the fuck? What is this man doing? But with, Who is this, <laughs> this guardian angel? <laughs> shit. But him popping up on all these spaces to me just read that we're in these spaces that gay people are in. Like a, a, a poetry lounge, a library, even though it was just through words, the subway, like it's kind of reinforces that though they're in, I think Chicago, a large city, it's still very small. Are they in Chicago? They're not in New York, right? I'm going to say Chicago. Know. I, Cause I was trying to figure out like, were they in New York? I mean, I guess it would have made sense with the Harlem You know what? Let's, I think that is it. This, we're going to go with that. I think that makes the most sense. Okay. <laughs> so they're in New York and, uh, yeah. Cause he did talk about Harlem and Brooklyn. Good Lord. I'm dense. Yes. They are in New York, but I think, even though this is a older film and so the cast is smaller, I think it does reinforce this idea that even though we live in this large-ass world, it's really very small. Um, hell, I'm down here in Dallas, Texas. I was not born and raised here. I am from the Midwest. But I, I work at my 9-to-5 job with a girl who I went to elementary school with. How is that even possible? She's a year younger than me. I was in class with her brother. And when I ran into her, it was like... I haven't seen you in damn near 30 years. What are, how are, so, you know, the world is just small. So I think that that kind of enforces that. But what, what did you like the least about this film? Okay, okay, we, we can hold off on that. We can hold off on that. <laughs> Okay, okay. But, I mean, I can I, I, I can speak on the something that I really, really enjoy. Okay. Um, and this is going to be, you know, like the, this is going to be the literary nerd in me. <laughs> um, who just absolutely love the story of the nigga body. Because mm. um, that's, honestly, that's, that's one of my favorite, like, literary aspects just in general. Mm -hmm. Simply because of what they stood for. And I think, you know, in these flashbacks, we really get to kind of get to feel, you know, who they are as people. Mm -hmm. And that's really, that's really what they stood for. You know, they wanted to be 
seen as full people. Like, they were tired of, you know, um, as they say, you know, um, tap dance for white folks' affection. Yeah. Like, they want to be them, their full and authentic selves. Mm. And I love seeing that play out. Like, um, I love being able to really connect with these people, to see them as full people. Mm-hmm. And, and, I'm say, and to make the connection fairly early on in the film, that person is a whore. Mm. Yeah. Yes. So and really and uh like I say that, but you really do get to see that this is uh and these are like full fledged people. Mm-hmm. Something that's important for us with this with this sort of like generational gap. Because I think a lot of times we we as people in general like people who are fairly a uh, decent amount younger than us or yeah. decent amount older than us. Like we don't see them as people, we just mm-hmm. see them as like figures. Yeah. So the fact that we got to see, you know, Bruce and Langston and Zora and all those people mm-hmm. as actual people, um, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Same. I, I agree, same. And it's um it did a lot to not raise awareness because I don't think that's the right term, but I'm gonna use that for now. Two of these figures, uh, past Black History Month, right, you know, because right. a lot of people like when I was in school, my my grandmother was very heavily pro-black, um, but I came from a household where that was the case. But a lot of people it's not until they go off to school. Now it's happening a bit earlier because we do have the internet and a lot of resources at your fingertips. But back then it was, oh, I like a different world, so I want to go to HBCU. And then when I go there, then I'm hit with all of this kind of pro-blackness that you probably would have gotten eventually, but maybe not as early. So I, I do like that. I do like that. To piggyback off of everything you just said, I do like that aspect of the film. Yeah, I'm going to say, and that's, I mean, it's it's, it's, it's same because... For, for me, it was my dad. Mm-hmm. Like one of the one of the first books I remember reading was like a book of a hundred African American first first in peace. Like, mm-hmm. So that whole you know that so that I guess pro blackness being embedded from a young age, like, mm-hmm. you come to appreciate these sorts of things. Yeah. But for people who people who might not have that sort of foundation, mm-hmm. like I think that I think that their story is relatable enough, yeah, and inter- interesting enough. To it, even if you don't necessarily you know know all these people, mm-hmm. you like, don't know who these people are, mm-hmm. you can still be like, man, that's really messed up. What happened to them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think so. I um, so we get these flashbacks, and I love that they're in black and white. They could have been in sepia. They could have been in anything. But I do like this just hard black and white throughout the 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 um Harlem Renaissance uh flashbacks the clothing I'm really big on period pieces and to think that and I hate to say it like people weren't doing shit back in the day I don't want it to come off that way but for this to be that late 90s early 2000s film and it seemed to be a pretty low budget film it didn't it wasn't like you know a major box office hit but to still it gives me that feeling of web series now where I'm going to get these pieces together. I'm going to make sure that everything is as true to the source material as possible. So if this movie was to be made now, the flashbacks might look like the great Gatsby where they don't look like that in this film, but they're getting across this Harlem Renaissance. They are getting their point across. Um, 
So I did like that. It was like a tight, confined flashback to certain spaces so that you couldn't pan out and see, oh, this is Harlem 2004. This ain't, you know, period piece accurate. So I, I did like that. Um, yeah. I mean, even, what I was going to say, and like the the artistic choices and mm. stuff that they, that they made with this, mm-hmm. one, you know, again, literary nerd, I could watch, I could watch a movie just the, the flashback stuff. Yes. Uh, but at the same time, I was glad that the flashback stuff wasn't so overbearing mm-hmm. to where I got more invested in the flashback. Right. Didn't really care about the present day. Yeah. So I think they did. I think they kind of making that separation of having this the, the black and white so mm-hmm. flashback, mm-hmm. and you know, really kind of like making that its own contained story. Yeah. I think that was a really good, um, really good like move. On the people involved. Yeah, I agree. I agree. This oh, man, I love this movie. Uh, so, so uh, within the flashbacks, we're pretty much learning about Bruce and his life and the things that he's done um, from way back then and how it's affected him now. And the one thing that I really like is the question that Perry had, which was, "You didn't wrote all these books and you didn't lived all this life. How did you end up in this shelter? Or how did you end up here?" And it's like. Shit happens. Yeah. What did he say about all these artists that are, uh, we like that are being celebrated when they're strung out in, in junkies? They're still making more money, but they're not get, getting any of it. Something to that effect. And it's the same thing. Black people, black culture is popular. Black people are not. So, to me, it was a no-brainer that he would possibly end up homeless or end up in a shelter or end up with no money because it's, there's just not a system in place like it is for the Van Goghs and the Michelangelos, even though that's much older. But, you know, there's... And then when you add on being gay... That? <laughs> that takes it to a whole nother level. Yeah. Because we, we see, like... We see them... Like when I say them, I'm talking about the nigga Roddy, Sawyer, and Langston, and Bruce, and all of them. Like, we see them being, you know, already they're shunned mm-hmm. by, by people because of like what you just said. But they're also being shunned by black people mm-hmm. because they're daring to be themselves. Like, mm-hmm. there's a whole scene that pisses me off every time I see it. <laughs> they're like standing around with some of these respectable Negroes and they're like throwing the copies of the magazine in the fire. One of them spits on. Mm-hmm. One of spits on somebody, mm-hmm. and it's just like, so we we're already not we're already not valued by you know um, white society. Mm-hmm. As a black person, you can't really expect that to happen. But when you you can't even be barely even tolerated, let alone celebrated. Yeah, the people whose experiences you're trying to accurately portray. Yeah, like they look at you as like demon children. Like, mm-hmm. Woman, there was like, um, my children, follow, you are no child of mine. My children follow the Bible and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes this thing was like, like you say, like of course, of course, he ends up completely and totally like shut out from everything. Mm-hmm. He's been, you know, he's been been abused and marginalized by multiple communities. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's, and you don't have that support system of a family to fall back on. And it could be just that your family was poor, but in cases like this, more times than not, it is that you are queer. Um, and hell, he made it to in this film. I don't know if the guy was 
<clears throat> maybe like in his late 50s or early 60s or what, but the character rather, not Bruce, not the actor, but you've made it this to this age, and I think he came to New York, for, if I'm not misremembering that, he came to New York from his small town or something like that so you don't have that support system and hell yeah. you end up pouring homeless there how do you just get back home with no resources yeah. oh man um i want to for a minute talk about perry and his white lover <laughs> oh good this is gonna get into the question that i avoided earlier go ahead <laughs> So Perry, the the white friend who he was uh, talking with before, they did a really good job at setting him up as an ally, so to speak, or just a friend, because uh, he did mention something about a girl, and he mentioned in the following scene, like, how does a handsome guy like you not have a lover? And that didn't make me think he was queer or on the spectrum or whatever. Um, but it did make me make me raise the eyebrow because then he was like, yeah, you know, I could you could talk to girls and. This is how I do it and whatever. And that was a nice conversation between the two of them. I'm like, okay, this is the type of relationship that I think Marcus probably... No, no, I don't want to put them at, at odds because they're two entirely different people. But that relationship, I was like, okay, this is a different type of friend. This is a different type of heterosexual friend. But I guess he was bi-curious or maybe closeted gay because they go back to the dorm homeless room, whatever... Um, and put in some porn and commence to having sex. Uh, yeah. <laughs> take it away. I'm, so, okay, where do I want to start? Okay, I'm gonna start right, like right there. Okay. So, nope, I'm gonna start over. Okay. So <laughs> the question that that you asked me earlier was, what was something that did not like about this film? Yeah. I'm trying to find the best way to say this, but I think I'm going to end up just saying how I actually feel. Okay. Um, one of... I don't really understand how this person who seems... Who, Perry, mm -hmm. who seems, you know, to have some sort of racial analysis. He seems to be, you know, like, firm in his racial identity or whatever have you. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how he's all but, all but one his lovers slash flames are white men. Yeah. Um, the only time you see him really show any sort of interest in somebody black is when he was making eyes. I think the person on that subway at the beginning. Was yeah. Black. Yeah, it was light skin. Yeah. It was then, and then when he ended up at the bathhouse. Mm -hmm. um, like everything else, like when he got caught and kicked out by his uh, by his father, and like his consistent love interest here. Um, were both white men. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't understand. Even even with the company you keep, like I don't understand yeah. like how I'm gonna say I don't understand how you are best friends with Marcus and like that's something that you you know you constantly go after. And for me, like my tolerance for you know um, queer movies in general, mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. always you know um, always having their black queer characters. In interracial relationships, like mm -hmm. consistently, is getting lower and lower. Yeah, I actually have a friend who I gushed about this movie too, and we started talking about it. He realized the movie I was talking about. Yeah, and he sort of like explained that he that he has issues with this movie for a lot of the same reasons. Yeah, Just how in the Harlem in 
the heart of the Harlem Renaissance. Mm-hmm. How are all of these folks uh, partnered with white people? Like, how is it that, you know, this mm-hmm. person, uh, this main character, who, like I said, has clearly has some sort of racial analysis, mm-hmm. you know, is willingly, like, going back, even after he's seen that somebody like Jim isn't quite the ally that he would have thought that they Yes. Were. And it really becomes this thing, it really becomes this thing of, like, what was the, what was necessarily the purpose of this aspect of it? Like like why? I don't know if we necessarily needed. I don't know if we necessarily needed him partnering with somebody white mm-hmm. for like for this movie to go to to move forward. I feel like you maybe could you may could excuse it for the Harlem Renaissance thing if you wanted to be like you know this was a point in time where um, things were different and you like you know you had a it was more difficult you know to find other black yeah. people. Maybe you could excuse it from that for then, but not necessarily the rest of the day. And me looking back at this with, again, with 2019 eyes, you know, knowing that that also is a conversation that's being had. It's like, particularly in black queer spaces, like, mm-hmm. why are we con- consistently and constantly, you know, um, chasing after and absolving our white partners? Yeah. And I think that this movie, uh, I think that if this movie has one thing that kind of makes me raise an eyebrow, it's that. Mm-hmm, hmm I agree. Now, here's where I would have been okay with that. I'm not okay because I feel like the relationship with Jim was it was just to prove Marcus's point about, oh, all yeah. white people are the same. Now, if we had had that interaction where we slept together, it didn't work out, and then we tried it again, and he was borderline racist or not um, um, sensitive enough with his words, but then we ultimately ended up with a black lover to, you know, or it, it did seem unnecessary, especially in a film that was not a major motion picture backed by this huge company where we're making these Disney fit like, and I say that because in those spaces, you're always going to get that racially ambiguous black person with their white partner. But, with this, you have more freedom to do, and we're not denying that these relationships don't exist. My issue comes when these are the relationships that we see. You're not getting two dark-skinned men, two dark-skinned women. You're not getting people past being the token gay. When you do get some intense, heated love story, whatever it is, like you said, a black and a white person. And that's fine, but it shouldn't be the only thing we see. Adding to your point, when he did take that lover at the bathhouse, that's when we saw him crying in the shower, washing himself like he had, you know, was just disgusted at what he'd done. When you lay down with Jim them two or three times, there was no aftermath of, oh, I'm so upset. And it was an emotional thing, but it wasn't this physical, I got to wash this nigga off of me. And, and that's, really, that's really how it comes across. I got to wash this nigga off of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, I mean, I don't. I'm, I'm, I'm gonna expose a bit of myself here. Like I don't know how bathhouses back in the day were, but mm-hmm. bathhouses now you ain't. I don't know what you. I don't know what you was expecting. Yeah. Like, um, like you knew what you knew what you, came, what you came in here for, and like this. Okay, I say you knew what you came in here for. Yeah. Because if they're trying to play up this idea that oh he's taking the shower yeah. because he's ashamed of what he's done. Mm-hmm. No, you came into this into this space. Yeah. For a reason, you don't you don't get to be you don't get to be like oh um 
you know, I didn't want to, oh, no, I, did, I had a gay experience. You, you don't get to have that sort of reaction uh, now that, <laughs> you don't get to have this sort of reaction now that, um, now that we're in this, um, I'm going to say now that it's actually happened. Yeah. Especially, you could have made the choice to have him have a different type of lover, an Asian, a black, a, a mix, like to further emphasize he's really trying to find a love. But like you said, you go to the in the fact that you decide to put the black lover in the bathhouse, which is to me just showing that this is what you do with black people. When you have a black woman on a uh, cover of something, more times than not, she's more quote unquote animalistic and these modeling. And I, this is very general, but this is something that has happened consistently. When you have white women, it's more subdued and soft and petite and whatever else. But when you reference black people, it is this hard, aggressive nature of things or whatever. I'm going to say over-sexualized. That, that's what I was getting at. Jesus Christ. Um, but that being said, why have him even go to the... Like, why show him... I don't know. I don't know. I'm fine with the... That's a, that, that's a real question. Like, why even, like... Why reduce the presence of I'm gonna say of this black queer man to just existing in this bathhouse space? Like, wow, you know, this I'm gonna say this white queer man, this you know, he's in college, he's do all these sorts of things, mm-hmm. and that's not necessarily saying that the the, the black character wasn't, you know, mm-hmm. whatever, you know, um, but it does sort of put across this message that you know they like this is you go into the seedy places, yeah, the black people, which you find the educated. Spaces. Yeah. And going back to something else you said, like that's another of my prob- of my problem with so like white I mean not white queer, queer films in general. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, like it's not so much the it's not the interracialness of their relationships. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that it's always, 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 always used to uplift whiteness. Yeah. Because you know, it's you would you'd be hard pressed to find to like a black person and an Asian person, a black mm-hmm. person, an Asian person. Like it's always always a black person and a white person and that sort of comes across as an idea of like what is it that you're trying to what is it that you're trying to say yes yes say that yes yes and this isn't even and not to tokenize them but this isn't even a trans man that is white because with that that's a different experience that could be explored and unpacked but even with that why do i have to constantly see and I, oh, well, it's it's gonna sound like what it sounds like because it is the truth. We're not denying that these relationships are not there. They are there. They're alive and well because it's all we see. And it would just be nice. And this is why Noah's Ark was so goddamn important. I don't give a fuck what you think about it, folks who didn't like. I was too gay. This and that. I don't care. That was a very much a coming of age story. It had a lot of black people in it. They had two dark-skinned lovers, brown-skinned-ish. Um, they had the spectrum of people. They had people who um, had HIV and were dealing with that and being educated. You had a, a effeminate man on screen with a lover, and he was not the token. He was not made the butt of a joke. You had a group of friends, different body types, different sizes. I met the character Alex when I first moved to Atlanta. Do you know I damn near had a heart attack being in his presence <laughs> because I had been watching him for so many years? 
Noah's Ark is such an imp- I might have to do a series on Noah's Ark, so let me put a pin in that. But <laughs> no, for real. But it's it's just it, the love interests were were black. The adversaries were black. The they they dealt with bisexuality. They dealt with identity politics. They dealt with the relationship between men and women, men and women in this gay heterosexual space. Uh, and then they also added in the element of uh, what is it, California? I was in Michigan when I was watching that. I, I knew nothing about how it was to be in California, but they opened my eyes to so many different things that I don't think, and I could be wrong, but if I'm wrong, it's because it's something I have not seen before. I don't think there's any other show that has done that with this group of people. The closest you could get is Pose right now. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, 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 and well, Noah's Ark has some issues, too. Yeah. Say, even when saying that, you know, there's, there's some some stuff that Pose has to work out, particularly around like skin tone. Colorism. Say that. Yes. Say that. Uh, but like, but no, you're right, and I think that's. I'm I'm very passionate about this. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm gonna say, and I'm 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 going to explain why. Because for me, um, as a you might say, as a young black gay kid growing up in Mississippi, like my exposure for real mm. to I'm gonna say to queer communities or queerness in general was through what I saw. Like mm. I said, sneaking and watching, you know, like one girl, five gays, um mm-hmm. when was I'm gonna say, you know, at uh, at home, what have you, you know. Yeah. Um, I didn't watch Noah's Ark until I got to college. Okay. Like, like this is everything I knew for up until the time when I moved. Well no, up until like my last couple of years in college. Mm-hmm. Everything I knew about um about gay people, particularly Black gay people came from what I saw on television. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know that if I did not have that foundation I talked about earlier, that, you know, that sort of that pro-black foundation, yeah. you know, and loving myself and what, what have you, if I did not have that foundation, the things that I had to go, the, the media that I had to consume yeah. that taught me what gayness was, I would have very easily been one of them, one of them self-hating, like, you know, um, people who did nothing but chase after white affection. Like yeah. That would have been me because that's what we see when we look at queer media. Mm-hmm. And that, and I, because I know that I am not the only person who that happens for, yeah. because I know that people do this even today. Yeah. They are, there's, there's some kids in Mississippi and other places right now who their only exposure to uh, queer people in real life is through what they see on television yeah. and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I think that there's a, there's a there is a level of responsibility to now I'm not saying like get rid of all interracial levels, I'm not saying that, but I'm saying that we need to have a balance. Yeah. And that there is there is no balance. Like we're telling people, we're telling young black queer folk um, that in order for you to get anywhere, in order for you to overcome, you know, all the stuff that's been happening to you, in order for you to get past all these people who pick on you. You need to leave this toxic black community. Mm-hmm. You know, find you, I'm going to say, find your white partner who's going to understand mm-hmm. and live a happier life. Mm-hmm. And that pisses me off. To yeah. Me, uh, because it's like, because that's that's a that's a dangerous message. Yeah. Because you're telling people that, you know, you've already, you've been so beaten down by, uh, by black communities, then why don't you try something else? Mm-hmm. And we never give them this idea that, you know, Hey, there's there's fucked up stuff here too. Yeah, 
Yeah. And, and I, I really think that we need to do a better job of showing people in general, whether it be kids or whatever, that you can be in a, um, that you can be in, two black people mm-hmm. can be in a relationship, even as, you know, the same sex or same gender couple. Yeah. And be happy. Oh, yeah. It's, it, it's, it is frustrating because everything you just said, in addition to that, when there was this resurgence of black pride in the media back in the 90s with the Martins and Living Singles, the Cosbys, the A Different World, you didn't have the same thing for queer people. So when everybody's running the HBCUs and they're so excited, I want to have a magazine like Khadija, or I want to work at a radio station like Martin, or I want to be like Denise and, 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 and go to this place and be like Jasmine got. When you're having all of this, the queer aspect is, is not told in that same story. So our stories are constantly behind. They're behind everyone else's so that when they do show up, you get all this pushback. Oh, my kids shouldn't have to see this, shouldn't have to do that. What the fuck are you talking about? Kids shouldn't be exposed to sex at all. But on top of that, you can turn on your TV blindly, cover your eyes, and just flip through channels and end on any program. And you're bound to see a heterosexual, cisgendered, usually white or mixed or even sometimes black couple kissing, holding hands, talking affectionately, staring in each other's eyes, and that's okay. That's just okay. So, no, 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 come on, come on. And you know know what's so wild? Like, even even if this, even if, even if we're going to take the stance that, you know, kids shouldn't be exposed to sex, which, okay, fine, cool, they will have you. Nobody's saying that what we show these folks has to be sex. At all. Like, no, like, that, it blew my mind when people was like, this is going back in, uh, this is going back some years, when one of the creators of, like, Bernie and Ernie mm-hmm. was saying, like, no, they, like, they gay, they in a relationship. Yeah. And people was like, oh, my God, how did you, how did you be exposing kids to this sex stuff? And I tweeted, I tweeted, I was like, do y'all think that these puppets are going to be fucking on Sesame Street? Fam. Like, it, <sighs> That's the problem with the larger narrative that you are so against gayness and queerness that you reduce the very existence to something sexual. What about people who don't have sex? In Noah's Ark specifically, the um, the the husband, Chance, and, and his husband, <clears throat> in the show, the issue that they had is that his husband wanted a quote-unquote thug in the bedroom. The original intent of that couple's... Um, disagreement was that he did not want to have sex he did not want to have penetrative sex that being said because someone identifies as lgbtqai or heterosexual does not automatically mean that sex follows some people are asexual some people are bisexual some people just don't like to do anything but oral sex there's so many different varying degrees to the actual act of sex that when you take an entire group of people and every time you discuss them, like what I said before, oh, if a heterosexual woman is having sex with a heterosexual man and she puts a finger in his asshole, does that make him gay? Why are you including this community into your conversations about sex? Because you only see this community as sexual. That's the problem with you. Not the problem with the kids that are just watching TV. Not a problem with the people who make She-Ra a bit more butch or masculine because there are young girls who look that way. Not the problem with people who see a, I don't know, slight more feminine man on screen, not as the butt of a joke. Like, there's, there's, it's not, it doesn't even have, like, 
sex doesn't even have to enter the conversation at all. Like particularly when particularly when we're talking about like young media for younger folks. That. Like, um, you open up any town, any Disney Channel show, and you gonna see um hit kids um, making googly eyes at each other, mm-hmm. you know, flirting around, slow dancing together at the prom, and so on and so forth. Like, queer kids want, deserve, and some of them do have those same experiences. Mm-hmm. Like, it ain't, even got, it ain't even got to get to, you know, well, you know, the bedroom or any sort of sexual act. It could be just as simple as someone who, I'm going to say someone who has a crush mm-hmm. on someone of the same sex, same gender, and we see that age-old story playing out. Mm-hmm. Like, do I tell them? Do I not tell them? Like, how do I approach this? Mm-hmm. Like, it can be just that simple to let these, you know, um, kids in queer communities know that, hey, how you feel about this person is normal. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing necessarily, there's nothing wrong with you. Mm-hmm. I'm not feeling this way. And I feel like that could make such a huge difference because, you know, you have people, and I'm, again, I'm going to expose a bit of myself, myself included, who had, like, who felt that sort of way, who felt like there was something wrong. Yeah. Because, uh, I'm going to say, because of the way that they felt. And just showing just something as simple as um, this little boy has this crush on this, I'm going to say, on this, on this other little boy could make them feel seen. Mm-hmm. And. By, by reducing um, queer queerness down to nothing but sex, mm-hmm. we're taking the opportunity away from people. And yes. that's yeah, no, absolutely. I agree wholeheartedly, 100%. Uh, tweet us, CBN Movie Night, CBN uh, Movie Club, whatever, and give me your thoughts and opinions on this. I really would like to know because it's, 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 I don't understand where there's the disconnect. Um, if you write a story, just a regular story, boy meets girl, boy likes girl, girl is apprehensive but ends up liking boy, boy and girl end up uh, at the end of the movie at the dance together. Just put two girls or two boys there, and it's the exact, exact same story. There was no sex involved. There was just a, a crush. There was the teenage angst. There was the stress about will they, won't they, and then we ended with them at the dance. It's that simple. Oh, Lord. So, uh, so uh, Perry likes white men. No. Uh, <laughs> but I think that was a um, a detriment to the movie for me as well uh, because it just wasn't handled. I felt like the whole point of having Perry with this white man was just to prove Marcus's point. That all oh, white people are this and white people are that, which, okay, fine. Some of them are, some of them aren't. But for that to be a focus... And for we to have to use this white man to say these things and make you uncomfortable after sex just to prove his point was, I felt like we could have did without it. We could have did without it. Um, Yeah. Uh, So we even get the interracial relationship, quote unquote, in the flashbacks to the Harlem Renaissance where uh, there's the white Canadian man. And I... I didn't, okay, I thought he was a one-off, like he just showed up, they slept together, and that was that, but he was there throughout a lot of that, um, in that entire scene, that, that section of flashback, why, and it's not even being, like, um, um, judgmental, I'm just really trying to figure out why was he so central, why was he there so much? So, I think, I think they were trying to say, because I feel like I remember them saying that, um, 
he had helped sponsor okay. um, the magazine in some sort of way. Okay. So that was the that was the I guess the storyline reason that they were basically showing him a good time as a as a reward, you know, as a thanks for supporting their magazine. Oh, okay. But see, but see, here's here's the thing, and this just actually um, just popped back in my mind, like. That kind of becomes even more problematic mm-hmm. uh, than what we see Perry in the present day. Yeah. Uh, because when we first meet Bruce, like flashback Bruce, I mean. Yeah. Um, and he's mm. walking with Langston and he ends up meeting, mm. um, he ends up meeting Wallace Thurman. Mm-hmm. And he has this visceral reaction where he has to like leave the room because he couldn't believe that somebody that he had admired so much was so black. Yeah, and I was whoa, yep. really? And then so like having and you know he he apologizes and he and they become really close and so on and so forth. So you know he he goes from that. But having that be like one of our first interactions mm-hmm. with young Bruce, yeah, and then seeing like and then seeing all of them pretty much like, like almost exclusively. Um, mess around with white men. Mm-hmm. That adds a layer to the conversation that I think that when we when we talk about interracial relationships, particularly between black people and white people, we don't get into. Yeah, because that's something that you know that's. I feel like that's when those of us who you know who critique or who like who bring up think issues or like in in these sort of relationships, I think that's something that we're that they try to squash or try to steer away from but it's like no this is the perfect example of what we're saying yeah you are pining after you know you are pining after um exclusively white lovers mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. point where you're rejecting people who um i say people of your own community or what have you yeah like bro ran out the room and um and pretty much went to go throw up yeah just just because he saw that Wallace was dark skinned. Yeah. Like, Which is, come on. again, the color. This is a debate we will never stop having as black people. Like, I just, I don't foresee that happening. Um, and even more to your point, it's so. Shit, what was I saying? It is. Not to say that you don't, you just, you love who you love. You could, you could end up in love with a white man, and that is what happens. But you cannot excuse the optics behind that when you do take a stance where you are this activist or you are so pro-black or you're doing these things that are to advance the community. Again, it's unfortunate because, oh, I just randomly fell in love with Tom or with Sally. Cool. But you still have to acknowledge that you are a piece in a larger puzzle that is it's, it's seen and giving more access than Tyrone and Kevin. Or Tawana and Michelle A. Like you're not, you you have to acknowledge that and to be like, oh well, you know, you love who you love. Yeah, that is true, but don't because as a man, queer or otherwise, I still have to acknowledge the walk that I have that gives a sort of privilege over women, cisgender, trans, white and black, not white so much, but that being said, the privilege that I would have as a man in spaces that women do not, so no matter how much I'm, oh, I'm okay, I'm safe because I slept with a man, yeah, but you still, your very existence allows you to have a privilege over a woman in some capacity, so. I'm not saying people, and people try to downplay it, I'm going to say because we, <clears throat> privilege is more than just white privilege, mm-hmm. like there's different types of privilege. 
white privilege may you know be at the at the top of the food chain, mm-hmm. high have but all, a lot of us have like different levels of privilege. Like you know, like I'm I'm about to get my third degree. That's a, that's an educational privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think well, not but but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of layers to I'm gonna say to this. Um, that I think people are unwilling to sort of, I don't want to say critique, uh, but I'm going to have to say it, that people are unwilling to critique. Like, even, honestly, I'm even at the point where I'm starting to question that, you know, um, you know, you love who you love or, you know, you fall in love with whoever. Mm-hmm. Because something that I'm saying is that the spaces you are in is going to determine, you know, who you find. Um, like, I, I taught at HBCU, I'm an HBCU grad, about to be an HBCU grad over again. Like, most of my spaces mm-hmm. are with that folk. Mm-hmm. So, it would just, it, I would have to look to find me a white partner. Like, mm-hmm. I, would, I would have to look for that. The inverse is also true. If you're in predominantly white spaces, you are going to find white partners. But, here's the thing. Me cultivating my space, you know, going to two HBCUs, teaching at HBCU, whatever have you, I chose that. I mm-hmm. did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. So if that's true, the inverse must also be true. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, you put yourself in this space because that's what you wanted. Yeah. And so it, it, for me, even that thing of like, oh, you know, you love who you love and it is what it is, I kind of I question <laughs> that too because like, yeah, it, there's, you know, stranger things have happened. You know, mm-hmm. you could just end up, somebody just enters into this space. But I've waited to say, nine times out of ten, you cultivate the space that you're in because mm-hmm. you cultivate people you want to be around. If you're looking for a particular type of partner, you're going to make that type of space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I do agree with that. And again, even if, like you say, even if that you are the one where that just happened, <clears throat> you can't excuse the fact that that's not... You could be the exception to the rule that has always been this thing. Uh, yeah, the more we discuss the film, the more it is very odd to me that Perry would have had a white lover. It seemed like if Jim had have been switched out for a black person, light skin, dark skin, or whatever, I think it would have it would have made that story a bit more. You would have had to think more because you couldn't rely on the, oh, the white man said something kind of racist after, after we had sex. Or very, because you can be kind of racist, something racist um, after we had sex. That is an interesting story to have. But in this film, I think the conversation surrounding black people of that time and queerness would have been a better conversation to have. Where, oh, I want a boyfriend. Oh, but I don't think you're that person to give that to me. Because on the flip side, black Jim is not ready to be out, or something to that effect. Yeah, like, that could have been such an interesting, like, even just so, like, that dichotomy between, like, oh, I, I'm in love, I'm falling in love, or what have you, um, with this black man, but this other black man is, like, trying to beat the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. Like, that sort of it would be an interesting sort of thing to have to contend with. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you find love in a community that at, that at any time, you know, could essentially turn against you? Mm-hmm. Like, Honest, I'm much more interested in that. Yeah. Like, white person says somewhere, it's just like they do. Okay. Like, I'm much more interested in that. But I also, okay, 
have much more interest in that. But I guess at the same time, I also have to recognize this is from 04. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I guess I, I, I kind of have to let it go. Yeah, yeah. But it, it makes me want to go back to what you said about, man, somebody needs to pick this up and remake it. Yeah, yeah. And with that being said, if this was to be remade today, do you think that it would do well? Like in the box office and... Or would it be straight to Netflix or something? No, that's that's a good question because I don't know. Mm-hmm. Okay, so here's 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 where I'm kind of like of two minds. Okay. Uh, on the one hand, I think in a post Moonlight, you know, mm-hmm. present day yeah. post type world, yeah, I think that the, well, there's always been an audience, but yeah. that audience is more vocal mm-hmm. and it's more visible. Mm-hmm. So I want to say yes. But the only thing, I think I'm leaning more so towards the yes, mm-hmm. because the only thing that uh, the only thing that kind of may push against that is the fact that you know these are historical figures, mm-hmm. um, and I wonder how that would play in the whole. You know, we're we're very much in a you know um, in a reclaim Black history. We need to promote yeah. Black history type deal type move now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wonder if there would be if the pushback to using or even referencing um, you know, like these sort of historical figures and them being queer. I wonder if that would, if the pushback against that idea would kind of sour the movie. Mm. Um, I feel like I'm still kind of like, yes, it will be successful, mm-hmm. but I think that that would be a factor that people yeah. make stuff we have to think about. Yeah, but I'm, I'm seeing then, I'm thinking that's bringing out the hotels. Good Lord. Um yeah. God, it's like you can't win for fucking losing shit. Yeah, no, I agree. I think um, I think it'd be one of those things. I, I think that it would do well, but I think that with everything you said in the time that we are in now, though there is more visibility and more representation, this would probably be a Netflix exclusive or an Amazon Prime. It's like it would be because those shows and movies still do well, and I believe Netflix showed up at the uh, what award show was that? What's the the Grammys, Emmys, I don't know. Whatever the one about TV hell. Because uh, remember, House of Cards got nominated or won a bunch of awards. And that was a Netflix exclusive uh, show. So I think that it would probably do well there. But then you also have to have to look into the conversation of do does uh, movies even matter in the same way that they did back then? Because we have so many streaming services. And because you can cultivate your viewing experience... Like through Netflix, you got the recommended, because you watch this, there's this. So you don't even have to be uh, kind of inundated with these images of stuff that you don't even want to watch. Um, as, as a queer person who watches all these types of films, your Netflix suggestion will follow these types of films. So you won't get a, here's a Confederate flag propaganda film, you know, so... Do movie and opening weekends even matter to the degree that they did in 2004 if we were to do a remake of this movie? I don't think so. I don't. I don't. I, I think that you know how we consume movies and stuff um, is much different. Um, I don't think it would. Because yeah, it, it, the opening stuff, the most we probably get if it was. Because I think I'd review it would be a Netflix original. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that um, even if even if we would get at most like, oh, you know, 
Netflix had this many viewers or it had this many viewers yeah. this week first weekend. That's that's more for Netflix's benefit than the movies. Yeah. So I don't think it would really I don't, I don't think it would really move anything, but I I think it would be good to have mm-hmm. because it would be a it would be a resource. It would be something that you know that other queer people, black queer people, black people could kind of like get to fairly easily. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it would be good to have it out there to kind of put the same sort of story. Yeah. A new lens. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, I agree. Um, hell, I would even venture to say do not necessarily a remake, but a time jump so that Anthony Mackie reprises his role as Perry, but giving his experience throughout the uh, 2000s to a new in college young uh, black oh, boy. So oh, you're, yeah, and you're you're giving these secondhand accounts. Like you don't have to. You can do the Harlem Renaissance, but there have been so many uh, fights that have gone on since the Harlem Renaissance in black culture, just in the late '90s, early 2000s alone. That could be hell if you can incorporate the ballroom scene and the importance of it and the reason behind it. Uh, there's so many ways that you could take this brother to brother 2.0. And still stay true to the original Harlem Renaissance flashback uh, counterculture of it all. I think that would uh, that would well, work. I agree. I agree with you. What do you think? You you said it is so many like movements or moments. What do you think? Like, what do you think would be the movement or moments or what have you I, that you would be most interested to see if they did do like a time scale? Um, and well, this may be. I don't know if this is the best answer, but I think the AIDS epidemic only because we're coming out of the, we are not in the eighties and nineties. Anthony Mackie Perry's character would have become a grown man throughout the early two thousands. And with the different advances in medicine and because when you watch polls, you see a, a specific time in which this was an issue and how they're dealing with it. I think, because people have this dated view of what the virus is and how it works and how it's contracted and just just overall unclear about it, I think taking the lens of having that be an aspect, not, the, not what we focus on wholeheartedly, but looking at the advances that have been made and being specific about the medications. Because it's one thing to say, oh, Tom uh, has HIV and he takes a pill. It's nothing to say Tom has HIV. He contracted by doing this during this time in his life. He's taking this specific medication, and he had to switch to this one, and this is the reason why. Like, I think having that be kind of maybe a, a B plot throughout also having things like, um, even though this isn't exclusively gay, but the Ferguson issue and having D-Ray, who is a out and proud queer person, at the head of that movement. You know, it, it would be nice to see something... In that regard, because I don't know that we've had anything like a Harlem Renaissance for queerness. Um, and I could be wrong, but I think that'd be a good stance to take because we get all these like Truvada commercials and people are still unclear <laughs> as to what's going on. So, I don't know. What about you? What do you think would be a good uh, uh, thing, stance to take? I mean, I, I agree with you that it would be very interesting to have it like... Um take some of the um, age crisis stuff because I, I think that we still when we talk about AIDS even today 
it's still um, through a stigma. Yeah. Like we don't we don't we don't focus on like um, we don't focus on like the, these people like humanity of people. Yeah. Um, like we're just honestly we're just not starting to see that with folks. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that you know that we could do with having with having another thing that kind of deals with that, especially when we're thinking about. When we think about sort of the larger ramifications, because something I hear from a lot of um, a lot of people, you know, my age and a, and a little bit older, um, that you know, as they start to do, as they start to learn and like to read more, we realize that we lost so much information, so much history, so many people. Yep. Uh, during the age crisis, so mm-hmm. I think having this sort of like having this person who, for lack of a better term, survived yeah you know passing their knowledge on to a younger to the younger generation mm-hmm. i think that's that'd be a great that's a great thing to do um so i agree with that uh i'm trying to think of another one though um hmm. i'd be i don't know if this is old enough but i'd be kind of interested um in sort of like a a black gay person's take on so like the 90s yeah um, because for a number of reasons, like like kind of how you hinted at it began a few minutes ago, mm-hmm. like this was really was like an explosion of like you know black popular culture. You know, like, yeah. it was everywhere. Mm-hmm. So many shows, music, movies, so on and so forth. And I'd be interested to see how somebody who, um, somebody queer who who existed in this, you know, like saw the heyday, the rise and the fall mm-hmm. of this. But never saw themselves. Like how mm. do you like how do you contend with that sort of like double mm. thing? Oh, this is great, you know, get to see all these, you know, all these black people on television and hear them and stuff. Mm-hmm. But you specifically, you are still pushed to the margins. Yeah. Like I think that'll be something that could play off of like if I was to assume that the younger person was growing up in like the Ferguson Black Lives Matter yeah. era. Mm. I think that'd be an interesting sort of exchange, like well, I've seen this, you know, where black people was hyper visible, mm-hmm. but we was not. It's like I'm living this. Mm-hmm. Like exchange would also be kind of interesting. Yeah, no, I agree. That would be oh, that would be nice. God damn, uh, shit. Don't mind. I'm just writing down a story idea. Look, there you go. Uh, uh, <laughs> copyright Marcus uh, Haynes uh, LLC. No, <laughs> don't try to steal his idea. God damn it. But yeah, no, I think that I think that's. I think that's interesting. That is because that's and it's it, it plants the story much like it did for Brother to Brother firmly in two thousand four. That plants it firmly in this late two thousands, this twenty ten to twenty twenty space where it doesn't even have to necessarily have a concrete date said, but you know where where you are. Um, damn. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, shit. Okay, <laughs> you didn't <laughs> fuck me up with that one, but no, I I definitely agree. Um, let's go to oh, th- I, this is what I want to mention during the second presentation that Perry did, or the second the, the first like projector presentation that he did, where it was about that uh, queer gay experience, and Rashawn gave him some pushback. Why do I gotta watch this? Why is this in our face and this and that? The one thing that Perry said that I really was unhappy with was he was alluding to, are you uncomfortable with something that you see within yourself? Almost like, oh, to be homophobic is to mean that you have a deep-seated homosexual desire. And I don't think I don't think that that is 
I don't think that narrative should be told. Now that could be the case in some instances, but I think it 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 shuttles uh, shuttles off. It passes off the blame of the person who's spewing the hate, and it makes it be something to be empathized with. Like, oh, that person's just fighting their own sexual desires. No, this person is an asshole. I don't give a fuck if he's gay undercover or if he's just a cis hetero person who's angry that doesn't i didn't like that i didn't like that so no i i i a thousand percent agree with you because um, I, I i did i did notice that mm-hmm. um but that's not, i i ain't gonna I, i'll let the movie go with that oh yeah that's something, that's something that people say now mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like and people have that same this, this same sort of reaction that you brought up it's like yeah, that may be the case. Yeah, but we gotta stop assuming that that's always the case. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, no, no. So I'm, I'm okay. Like you said, with the movie, and it was, it was, it was a relatively quick part of it. So I am okay with letting that go. But I was like, oh no, this, this gets said so yeah. often. I don't. This is not okay. Um. So that's that. There was something else. Uh. Well, let's go to the beating hell. Um. <laughs> So, uh, ultimately, well, prior to that, we do get the conversation with Perry and Jim talking about, oh, you know, I, I just want to have a boyfriend. I just want to be in love, and I don't, and you're not that person. And what I didn't like about this scene, aside from everything we've already discussed, is that Perry had to have that conversation. Like, he was the active person in all of their interactions. Jim was just able to kind of sit by and just let the shit happen. There was no objection. There was no, <clears throat> I'm sorry, I can't be what you want me to be. He didn't even confirm that, no, I'm not that person for you. And to me, it, it I guess, took some of the blame away from Jim because Jim is just this innocent, bi-curious guy who this black boy pounced on. And then they, <laughs> then when he did finally reciprocate your negro love now i'm not saying the things you want me to say and you've talked to the angry uh black friend of yours who's just proving that all us whites are bad and then the idiot pastor who's preaching on the train and now even now i'm not an active participant in this conversation it's just you talking to me so what have you actually you've wasted your time period this entire relationship quote unquote so yeah I mean, <laughs> I just, uh, your sweet black ass. What? Uh, uh, that was the most cringy ass line in this whole film. At least, he didn't, at, least, at least he didn't say big black ass. Well, that hell, man. Perry said this shit, but yeah. <laughs> oh, man. It, I think, I think this movie had it been turned into a series, like maybe not even a full 13 episodes, just give me a solid maybe four or five episodes where you could have stretched out some of these interactions. I don't know that that would have made me feel better about him and, and, and Jim, but I do think it would have maybe felt better narratively. Like, okay, you've had more time invested with these characters, perhaps. Uh, I, st- I just don't like the fact that Jim was just like, okay, well... I'm innocent. I did everything I was supposed to do. Everything you you convinced me to be this way, and now like, yeah. Oh God, yeah. Um. So yeah. So we get to the abuse, and Perry gets his ass beat by uh, 
Rashawn and his friends. Yeah. Um, Fuck Rashawn. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I, I wasn't uh, I wasn't in the life at that point in time, so I don't know how, like, how retaliation or anything, mm-hmm. or anything sort of anything of that would have happened. Maybe it was the point where you just had to deal with it. Yeah. But I wanted something very terrible to happen to him. Yeah, same. Yeah. And I just, and it just, the interesting thing, um, interesting thing is that, um, that was, we kind of have a weird sort of like thing where Marcus and Perry's like kind of wrote, not wrote, was viewpoints. Yeah. Kind of like switched. Mm-hmm. But the weird, the thing is like, that, but they were, the original viewpoints were proven right. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, I'm almost going to try to explain this. <laughs> so, by the end, the last time we see Marcus, right before Perry gets his ass beat, is when, um, is at the little art gallery. Yeah. Oof. Uh, and I forgot about Marcus that. is like, basically, he's telling him, like, that white man trying to give you a whole lot of money to take it. Mm-hmm. And, and Marcus and uh, Perry is the one who's like, I know, like, what happened, you know, you were just saying, like, I guess a couple days ago, weeks ago, whatever happened. Yeah. Um, you were just saying, like, don't let these white folks, you know, basically explain your own art to you to let it take advantage of you. Right. But now you're just telling me to do this. So, like, their perspectives had changed mm-hmm. because, you know, dealing with his, with Perry's relationships and how Marcus viewed, like, the world, they were kind of on the opposite ends of what they became at the end of yeah. the movie. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, like, but they were both, but their original standpoints were proven right. Yeah. Because Marcus was always like, you know, uh, I'm going to find, you know, like, these white folks on me, you know, good, blase, blase, blase. And we see that with Jim. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Perry was like, you know, where even black folks, you know, can, I'm going to say, come after me and they can be trash. Well, mm-hmm. what and we see that when Rashawn beats him up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of interesting to me that, you know, that they switch perspectives. Yeah. But their original perspectives were the ones that were right. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. Such is life. That's. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. That. I'm completely blacked out that damn art scene. That was. That was. That felt predatory. Um, yeah. Yes. And I hope I don't sound like a hypocrite because of the conversation between the white guy and Marcus about appreciating his craft before. But I think the difference in that is the boy was just a fan. Whereas this man has financial stake in this black man art. First of all, he said, if you could make it more, not palatable, accessible. Yes. That's what I was like, Oh, am I supposed to, what they say in a beauty shop? You ain't trying to lighten up the place. You're trying to whiten up the place. Like if you, am I, what are you saying? Make it more accessible. Is it that certain words are triggers? Like you ain't got to say nigger all the time. And you're still going to understand what this person means. Uh, Around the Ferguson time, I think thug became the new word for nigger. And um, for him to say, if you can make it more accessible, this is my art. You're, You're already telling me that you want my art to be displayed at some showcase or whatever. But now I have to change it in order to be 
You know what I'm saying? Like that's you yeah. you you like it for a reason. You're not even asking me to create a new collection in your image. You're asking me to change my existing art that got you interested in me to begin with. That's the problem. It is. And I think that I agree with you that I feel like it is different from what Marcus was saying and talking about at the beginning. And I think a lot of that is because of the movie itself. Mm-hmm. Like this scene with Perry at the art um, showing guys yeah. who came almost right after we see Zoya Hurston and um, and Wallace Thurman in the past in the mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. basically turned down this white dude because he wanted him to do the same thing, like telling them you know you need to whiten it up. Yeah. So I think with that sort of like backdrop, when we hear mm-hmm. when we hear um, this this guy in the present day talking about making the art more accessible, mm-hmm. like in our minds it connects it back to that. Mm-hmm. Like, no. Nah. So I, I agree with you that I think that's different, and I think we I think we're supposed to see it as different. Yeah. Because what we just saw with, uh, like I said, with Zoe Neal Hurston and uh, Wallace Thurman. Yeah, yeah, no, no. I so yeah, um, yeah. This is some shit. This is some <laughs> shit. But I just because I I can't think of uh so many times when not it's like you being black, mm, being black in a space where you have to constantly alter yourself, not even just code switching just with the way you speak, but the way you walk, the way you dress, the way you act. And in my own work environment, I had an instance recently where a one of the supervisor staff or whatever said something to me, and I really had to check myself because I – I came off of this high of like just watching black movies, being knees deep in the podcast stuff and reading books. And I came to work and I, you could tell I was, I was just happy. I was just, you know, happy walking around. And she said something about falling into old habits, but it was something that was very much not in her, uh, pretty much she should never said it to me. And I said, and I stopped. And I said, I leaned in. I said, now, what did you just say? And she repeated it. And I just politely told her, you don't ever have to say anything to me unless it's about work. Otherwise, I don't I don't need you speaking to me. And I, I, I lingered there for a minute because it's, it was a white woman and she was with uh, a black woman and two white men. And I needed for her to understand that what we're not going to do is act like because you are a few white voices in this space that I'm about to just, you know, being to let this shit slide. I said, but no, let's, let's not ever talk from here on out. I said, let's agree that we will never speak unless it's about work. I said, you're not my direct supervisor. There's nothing that we need to share with one another. If it's not about work. I said that. So we're going to, we're going to leave it there. And she's like, Oh, well, I just said, I said, well, you're out of line. And I just walked up. Cause I was so, but the fact that I couldn't, I probably could come in her like I wanted to, but I probably would have been out of a job. So <laughs> there's self <laughs> self preservation in that. But um, I just, I I just, it it just it baffles me at the 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 amount of transformation that we all have to go through just by existing. I am a tall, big black man. I am bald. I have a beard. I'm dark skinned I have to be aware of that when I'm at work, when I'm out in the world. I, it's just, I, there is no way I cannot be aware of that and how I'm interacting with different people. 
Um, so that whole make your art accessible thing, that whole change a magazine to fit a white audience, that shit gets tiring. Yes. Don't nobody want to hear that shit. So fuck you, motherfucker. You think you slick? No, I um <laughs> that fam, cause I just ah. But, but no, like, hey, what's, what's, what's wild about this is that things can compound that sort of like, oh, you need to make yourself palatable. Mm-hmm. But at the root of it, it really just starts with skin. Yeah. Because, like, like, dark skin. But I'm, I'm probably 170 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> And yet, and still, I have still had people, you know, me just walking down the street, uh, and people be like, they clutch the pearls. I'm yeah. Like, Bruh, like, hey, shit. First of all, I'm not going to do shit to you. Second of all, you're larger than I am. I probably couldn't do shit to you. And this, but it, it becomes this thing where it's like, you know, you you see this person, and you just automatically register as like, this is a danger. Mm-hmm. And... Like you said, we have to be conscious of that. We have to we have to always be thinking about that. And I think I think we're starting to see, you know, things that really sort of like talk about that complexity. Mm-hmm. Like there's one one show and I'm uh, one show that I've fought, recently fallen in love with. Mm-hmm. Uh, David makes man. Yeah. Um, and like that's that's his everyday life because he's he's like fourteen. Yeah. But you know, he's dark skinned and he lives in, you know, he lives in quote unquote, you know, like a ghetto. Yeah. Um, and, but he goes to a private school. Like, mm. he have Boston City to go to a private school. And, like, the the shift that he has to go through, the transformation that he has to go through, to go from who he is at home, who he is in his neighborhood, mm-hmm. and who he is in school. Yeah. It's, it's, it's amazing. And,. It's also what's also amazing, but also sad, is the fact that we have to wear so many hats. Mm-hmm. And I think that scene, um, both of the scenes, the scenes with um, in the flashbacks and the present day scene with Perry, just really just go to show how many hats we gotta wear. Ugh. Tell me a fucking about it. That no, you damn right. And I, unfortunately, at the time of this recording, have not seen David Makes Man. Exactly. Uh, yes, we'll do. We'll do. Add that to the list as well. No, <laughs> but what you said is so interesting because I have seen Shameless. I don't know if you're familiar with Shameless, and I, I like it. It's just you know trash television. It, it's a a solid story. It's the same shit every season. But there is a character, Liam, who is the youngest of like I don't know seven, eight kids, and he's black in a white family. And he's recently gone off to a private school and been kicked out of the school. And I know that this is a comedy and race isn't absent from it, but I just, I don't like the way they're handling that character. I will say I like that. It seems like he's just one of them, but when you watch the show, he's not just one of them. He's clearly a black boy, but that's, so you mentioned the private school and how he has to wear different hats. This character is, there's there's stuff there, but I digress. Um, yeah, and I mean I'm so happy that actors getting that check. But on the show, like you said, going back to representation, when you were a young kid in Mississippi, you saw what was on TV. Though internet is accessible, a child watching this, you just yeah. I mean maybe. 
they want to be adopted by this white family? I don't know, but <laughs> it's what you see. Um, yeah, so there's that. The movie, um, oh, the beating. I'm sorry, we got off track. The beating. Um, the this attack, I think, is though fictionalized, it's still based off of real events. Maybe not a specific event, but real events that have happened and that continue to happen to this day. My, I, When you get to the point where you want to make things false equivalencies and always ask, is this gay? What if a nigga do this? Is this gay? What if a man do this? I, I think I need people need to reference this scene all the time because a lot of times the things that you're equating to gayness and that you're so concerned about have nothing to do with gay people. It is just your anti-gayness leaking out. And you have people like Rashawn who have this issue, be it him a secret download person or him just hating gayness. This scene is a, um, what am I saying? Is comes directly from those conversations. This scene of Perry getting his ass beat, being jumped by five different guys. Because if you really were upset with him, you wanted to whoop his ass, that could have been a one-on-one fight. One, it shouldn't have happened at all. But that could have been you versus him. And because that was just excessive. I, it, it's, and, and again, these little quote-unquote innocent conversations that y'all are having that is just, fucking asinine and it always brings in a community of people that don't even fucking want to be bothered with the shit that y'all discussing and we have the end result being something like this or some gay kid that had been bullied and then killed themselves and then it's our oh, why you kill yourself why and we got teased all the time back in the day that's all fine and good this ain't back in the day it's 2019 if a little motherfucker who lives in a religious household who is constantly attacked online and at school and at home and just over and over, and this is all that they know, you get to your breaking point. And then, fuck the fact that, oh, this is what I went through back in the day. Everybody's psychology isn't the same. Who's to say that this little boy ain't dealing with depression already? And you're compounding that with everywhere I turn, I'm being attacked. And then the one time I do express my um, interest in the same sex or just an activity that isn't even... <sighs> Let me take it back. Because I'm getting... <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The, it's this is the violence that comes from these silly ass conversations. This is the violence that comes from uh, this is the violence that comes from the shit that y'all say online. And so this scene is the one scene that we got with somebody getting their ass whooped, and this was it was I I think it came at the right time in this film. Um, yeah, so. Because what we, what we don't realize, and something that I have to teach my students a lot, is that things don't, nothing happens in a vacuum. Mm. When you when you endorse particular viewpoints, when you make it okay to ask questions, essentially question someone's existence, um, you start to dehumanize that person. Because now you, like we said earlier about just reducing. Um, uh, poor sexuality, nothing but sex. Like you, you slowly start to chip away 
at the things and make this a full person mm-hmm. and make them human and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. You make jokes like, oh, well, I don't want to do this, or no, you do this, you that, and if you are that, then you're lesser. And you're slowly chipping away at this person's humanity. And what we don't realize, or what we do realize and maybe don't care, is that being human beings is the only thing that keeps us from, you know, from going after doing all types of crazy shit to each other. And, you know, there are still some people who do it anyway. But for the most part, like, because we say that's enough, there's a reason why, why we can go, you know, kill a deer and go cook this shit up and eat it. Yeah. And, and that's cool if you, you know, do it doing, you know, they're doing this season with mm-hmm. that. And there are laws, and there's a reason why we can do that and that'd be okay. And, but there are laws against you killing the person and eating them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's because we see them as human beings. We see them as a person, as a full-blooded person who deserves a certain level of respect. Mm-hmm. And when we have these silly-ass conversations, these silly-ass, you know, things, uh, we're trying, we're chipping away at that humanity. And we're getting to the point where it means nothing to folk to do some shit like what Rashawn did. And have five people beating up on this man who did absolutely, really did absolutely nothing to you. At all. Um, certainly nothing to warrant him being drunk like that. Like, so you, you, when, when we do, we don't understand, or like I said, maybe we do understand and we just don't care. Like, the fact that, yes, these jokes do matter. Yes, we question these people's humanity does affect something. Like, we can't just let this shit slide. Right. Because, like, we see the larger Oh, yeah. 
So the fact that they put that in color, yeah, I think is really kind of trying to convey, you know, so like some of the visual liberties of like of the fact that this is something that happens. Um, one that you know this is this is what essentially what he did to himself. Yeah. Because they were supposed to see like these flashbacks in this black and white is like a retelling of this history, like kind of like the liberties they took to sort of visual to represent visually yeah. him killing himself. Um, they kind of made that into color to separate it from that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one aspect of it, and then the other is that you know this is in color because this is something that could happen right now, mm-hmm. like. Um, we we talked earlier about how the flashbacks were in black and white, and the present day stuff is in color. And I talked about how they did it to kind of separate the two. Yeah. But they have this black and I mean they have this flashback character in the full color mm-hmm. because this is something that is is showing us that this is something that transcends like the timeline of this. Movie. Yes. Oh, say that. Say that. Yeah. <laughs> ah. Who shit? Uh. Yeah. Consider better myself, L. Uh, we moved direct, right from that into this is after uh, Bruce and Perry have both painted pictures of each other's headshots, like shoulders up or neck up, and they're laying on the on the floor in this old space from the Harlem, this old Nigerati Manor, uh, and Bruce's no longer with us. Yeah. Uh, I like that. That wasn't the greatest acting. It wasn't terrible. It didn't pull me out of the film, but I did like that. That I was so invested in the film by that point that I was damn on the verge of tears. Hell, um, so there's that. And Perry is forever changed. Hell, like this one piece of family that you had who actually understood your your plight, your struggle, who was a mentor for all intents and purposes, was your mentor is now gone. Like, and I, um, personally, like, okay, um, I was glad that they painted each other, particularly, more specifically, that um, Bruce was able to paint again. Mm-hmm. Before he did, you know, before he did transition. Yeah. Uh, and it makes me kind of wonder, like, did he, did he kind of, like, know what's coming? Did he, like, feel it coming? He and had like, to. So, yeah, because that's why he was so determined to get um, Perry to come back. Yeah. And I would imagine so, because even this, like, the whole story is just oral history. This this man giving you these historic things that have happened, and you're passing this down to the next generation. So now you have to do something with this, Perry. You have to improve your life based off of this. You have to either write this down or write your story. You have to be better than the Bruce and the Langston Hughes and the Walters and the Zoros from before in the sense that you have to, it's now your duty to take every, because if, if not, then what's the point of you even meeting this man? What's the point of you having these experiences if you're not letting them shape how you move forward? So, whoo, this was a, this was something. Uh, this was a film. This was a film. Um, Shit, do you... Uh, okay, Um. a few questions. This movie, in a shared universe, what other TV shows or films do you think are in this same timeline of brother to brother? That's a good question. 
The immediate thing that comes to mind, I'm not sure if this one necessarily. The immediate thing that comes to mind is Tongues and Tie. Okay, okay. Sort of a background, Tongues Untied, kind of a documentary esque um, film by, um, oh Lord, Marlon Riggs. Mm hmm. Uh, with another sort of uh, another black gay creator. Okay. Essentially, just sort of telling the story. You're talking about the experiences of black gay people, and you do it through. I say it's documentary esque, mm -hmm. because it's like there's it's some of his work. Like it's set to like some poems. It's set to you know to some conversations, mm -hmm. and it was just kind of like really exposing um, um, black gay sort of like livelihood. Okay. So, that's the first thing that comes to mind because honestly, um, that scene where they reenact um, the conversation between James Baldwin and Eldridge Cleaver, mm -hmm. like that feels like it could have been in terms of time. Okay. Hell, okay. It happen. <laughs> uh, but um, but so that comes to mind. Um, the watermelon woman. Mm. Um, that's a movie. I think it's set in. I think it's made in like the nineties. It certain. It has because it has that same sort of aesthetic. But it follows um, this young filmmaker. Her name is Cheryl. Okay. Um, she's a lesbian, um, and she discovers like this black woman on film, who she later discovers is who she later um, realizes or you know comes to the conclusion that she's also a lesbian. She's also a black queer woman. Mm -hmm. So she spends the majority of the film trying to track down any information she can find about this woman and along the way she sort of like learns about history and like learns about the experiences of this you know black lesbian actor actress during that time frame yeah so i think that kind of fits in with just you know learning from your elders type feel mm -hmm. that uh, that this movie has um i think is there any more that really hmm i don't know those two immediately come to mind um, maybe if I sat, sat up and thought about it somewhere, yeah. before, those two immediately come to mind. No, those were, those were good. Um, yeah, I took the less, um, adjacent route. I took a very different route. Um, bear with me now, but I think projects like Lemonade, um, I think fit very much in this whole oral history, this whole pro-blackness, regardless to your feelings about Beyonce, that whole body of work, that visual um album that taking like ancestral first of all it's a it's a poem it's a long poem um then the visuals added to it i think are very much a retelling of a history for this young though it isn't a direct bruce tales perry it's very much a overall narrative that's being told by one of the most powerful um uh, entertainers which equates to a larger reach. So I do think Lemonade would fit within this um, kind of storytelling narrative, excuse me. And honestly, I would say the Martins and the Living Singles. And I say that because you have this pro-blackness that, again, is infused through some, some form of entertainment that is at large going to reach so many more people. Um, everybody Thursday nights back in the nineties watched uh, Living Single and Martin. So when I do, when they wear their Grambling hoodies or their Howard hats, and 
though it's more subtle because it's the hijinks that's happening on film, there's still that kind of, um, there's that black pride, there is that foundation of, though this is a funny, interesting show, the things that are, are understood that don't need to be explained from the black audience is, oh, uh, maybe Khadija went to Grambling. Maybe uh, Gina went to Howard. Uh, her father is this wealthy oil tycoon or whatever. But there is, I feel like, though loosely there is that history there that the average white person, person not within the know in the black community is just watching a funny show. Whereas we're watching a show that is built on hundreds of years of history. Because why else are we wearing these HBCU attire? Why else are we engaging in these activities that we can... There's not a lot that we as Americans who were slaves before can trace back to our... Um, trace our lineage back to. But when you look at entertainment, you can do that. You can look at Insecure and you can see where the influence of uh, Fresh Prince maybe came in and then the influence from... Martin and Living Single and how that came from a different world and that came from the Cosbys and that came back from uh, Cosby stand-up where he was surrounded around all of these different black people which also came from, you know, like you could trace it back. So that's why I would say the more comedic 90s black films would be a direct um, in this, you know, Jesus Christ. It's a long explanation, but I got there. I get that's what black, black popular culture does. Like it really kind of like it just shows um, our experiences. It really just kind of like makes that into something that's that's what I want. It makes that into something really um, accessible or something really understandable and traceable. Like mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm glad we, you agree. <laughs> um, how about this? If you could replace any character in the film with a different one, who would yeah. it be? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and then who would you replace Jim with? Somebody black. Okay. <laughs> uh, um, hold on, is that my actual answer? I, um, no, I think it is. I think mm, it really is. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> that is fair. Um, yeah, because that's my answer as well. Um. I would have replaced him with back in 2004. Honestly, if we could have got it, it would have been a Will Smith or either that or like an unknown actor. And I say Will Smith just because there's difference in complexion. And I think that would have been a better conversation to have. Where even if Will Smith did come from a more white space, he's still a black man and you can still kind of get across those uh, racial. I think that would have been an interesting sort of like to play off of um, when Bruce was young, like his reaction to um, mm. Wallace, which I yeah. would never get past. <laughs> but, uh, like, I think that would have been an interesting sort of playoff. Um, I think, you know, I, I could have been okay with Will, but I, I think I would lean more so towards like an unknown person. Mm. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think I would have leaned more so towards an unknown person, but yeah, that that somebody with a that where there's a complexion difference. I mm-hmm. think would be interesting. Yeah, and I would have made him more active in their damn relationship. Uh, okay, how about this? If you could replace any one of the characters in the film with yourself, who would it be? Like, if you were to play one of those, who would it be and why? Um, I think I would have to go with Will. 
<laughs> oh, man. My first thought <laughs> is that would be Bruce so I can play the horn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I think I would. Okay. I, I think Perry would be cool because mm-hmm. I think I would really enjoy, you know, like being... Being in that space to learn from an elder. Oh, for sure. I think I would, I think I would really, really enjoy that. Um, outside of that, it really kind of depends on if I have to be this exact person. No, you, you yourself. Okay. Yeah, you yourself. If that's the case, and I feel like I could also play Marcus because I, for one obvious reason, <laughs> and two, um, because like I feel like I feel like what they try to do with mm-hmm. him. Like, I feel like if you say, uh, I could do this now. Like, yeah. I, I thought you were trying to go. Yeah. Okay. No, no, that's fair. Uh, those were actually my two choices as well. Um, I went with Perry. Uh, I didn't even think of your reason, which makes more sense that you can learn from an elder. But more or less because I felt like I would have handled things a lot differently than him. Um, but then I also settled on Marcus because he, me and him share a lot of the same views to an extent and I feel like I would want to flesh out more of his story because like you said there was that drastic change from white men are the devil and white folks are the killers and then to you better get this white man money so I think I would have maybe put a bit more nuance to it not to say it was terrible because it's a movie of the time so that is what it is but I think I would have I would have liked to have replaced Marcus as well uh yeah, I would like to play. Sure, hell, even Jim. Hell, let me just let me <laughs> let me lay down with this uh, a cap, future Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> but I got um, look, look. <laughs> so, I, I just thought about it. Yeah, and I've been talking about them so much. Um, Wallace would also be somebody. Okay. Um, because I think that that's okay. I say Wallace, but I also have to think about the fact that, you know, we don't want the flashbacks to be the movie. Yeah. But if it was, I think it would be interesting to sort of to play with um, being the darker skinned person. Yeah. And I'm going to say in one in the Harlem Renaissance. Mm. One. And then two, just like in this in this group of so many light skinned folk. Yeah. Uh, Particularly because I want to know if Wallace ever find out where Bruce started him at first. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, <sighs> like we, if so, we need to have that conversation. Well, he he did because he said, you know, I, I was, I'm sorry that I left or whatever. But it wasn't. No, you're right. He did because he said, "I'm sorry, I left. I was it was uncomfortable and rude." But he never said, "I left because you were dark skinned and that fucked me up." So no, you're absolutely right. That would be interesting to uh, have that conversation. Like, all right, nigga, so what now? So do you, you know, I ain't the first dark-skinned person you've seen before, and, you know, you got me on this pedestal, but now I'm knocked down because of the color of my skin. That's an issue. Uh, damn. Good and, I one. Think that, and I think that that type of, because we, I think we got by the end that um, Wallace and, uh, and Bruce were really close. Yeah. Uh, because mm-hmm. you know, the whole thing with Langston confronting confronting Bruce about him letting Wallace get some of his stuff. Yeah. Um, I think that if if we saw them so sort of like confront that mm-hmm. and kind of like work through mm-hmm. that relationship, mm-hmm. like I think them being like the best of friends at the end, that would have been more powerful. 
Yeah. Because like, it would it would have been a lot more for Bruce to be like, well, no, he needs help. Like, that's my friend, blah, blah, blah. Because we would have seen, like, him, that whole arc of him going from, oh, my God, this nigga starts getting escaped. Yeah, <laughs> like to you know, like this is my nigga. Like I'm gonna if he needs some if he needs some work to publish, I'm gonna let him get some work. To yeah, yeah. Damn. Okay. Hold up now. So how about this? Um, would you recommend this movie to someone now? And then how would you? If it, if the answer is yes, how would you recommend this to that person? How would you sell it? Definitely yes. <laughs> um, it really depends. Like. Um, I think that this movie, okay, like I said, the literary nerd in me mm-hmm. loves this movie because of the story with Nigerati. So it, it kind of depends on who, on who I'm recommending this to. Yeah. If I'm recommending this to someone like who likes like literature, like history, what have you, I would lead with that. Okay. But I think that above all, like this is a this is a black story, mm-hmm. and that this story at its core. This story is about learning from your elders, like taking their experiences, like taking that knowledge that they have and applying it to your life so that you can, you know, turn and be better. So that you can, you know, continue to fight the struggle, whatever you want to call it, that they started. So for literary people, I would lead with the Nicaragua Manor stuff, but Mm. pretty much everybody else. I would lead with the, you know, like the whole, the black perspective of learning from your elders and, you know, like I like really do that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's fair. I like that. Now, question. Have you seen House Party? Yes. Have you seen? (laughs) No, I'm not. Have you seen School Days? Yes. So, in with these three movies, House Party, School Days, and Brother to Brother, how would you rank these films? Like first, second, and third. Like it's this. Uh, brother to Brother, House Party, and I. I haven't been dead against School Days, and I will explain uh, maybe off. Okay, that's fine. But School Days have to be far and away from the third. Okay. So, <laughs> where do you think Brother to Brother falls in the, like, pantheon, lexicon of, like, black films, of, like, cult black films, films that we need to see before you die? Where do you think Brother to Brother ranks? You mean, like, like numbers-wise? Yeah, or just number. yeah, like, is it top ten, is it somewhere in the middle, like, where do you, just however you interpret it, it's fine. Hmm. I don't know if I can push for it to be top ten. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure I can make the case for it being the top twenty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I can make the case for it for it being somewhere in the top twenty. Okay. Because it is. I mean, because it does have that dual role of being a historical film, mm-hmm. you know, something that deals with actual Black history, and like I said a minute ago, like the message behind it. Um. I think I could push for it being top twenty, mm-hmm. you know, somewhere in that, you know, you need to see this. It may not be like the immediate if it's not right. if somebody doesn't have, you know, experience with black films, it's not gonna be the first thing I put in. Yeah. But it's it's gonna be down that line because I think it does it does a couple of things that we don't normally see. Yeah. You know, it really kinda humanizes it humanizes uh, people that we don't see a lot of a lot of we don't see being humanized a lot. Mm-hmm. And I mean the actual people. Yeah. Know, what they represent. Mm-hmm. 
and I think it offers a different sort of perspective on um, on movements and things that we know about, yeah. like the Hall of Renaissance. And you know, um, when I first watched this, this this started my this started my you know sort of like side side eye in the NAACP. Mm. Um, but I think for those reasons, like there definitely needs to be something that needs to be seen. Maybe not the first thing, but it does need to be seen. Okay, okay, I think that's fair. Um, I would I would agree. I would agree. Top twenty more than likely, um, but I don't know about top ten or top five or none of that. But I do think that it is something that I would suggest everyone watch at least. You know, it's Sunday, it's raining, you really ain't got nothing to do. Instead of cutting on just any old thing, just pop that in and see how you feel about it. So I do think they're uh, not top 10, but yeah, I would agree top 20. Um, but as far as like queer films, I think it's up there. Uh because the yeah. representation, <laughs> we don't have much. Yeah, I was say, I know, actually, I was going to say, I know for sure I can make it top 10 for that. Yeah. Especially, especially if you make it, okay, and queer films, I can make it top 10. If we're going to limit it to black queer films, then it becomes top 5. You're right, look, immediately. Like, it's, <laughs> oh, shit, no, you're right. Um, and then I think Anthony Mackie is really a big part of it. Seeing his star rise, um, However slowly or quickly, he's now part of the Disney machine, and I think I'm hoping that him being Captain America, if when if um, Falcon hasn't already done that, I'm hoping with him being Captain America has more people looking into his filmography and coming across this film. Because yeah, I'm I'm hoping that 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 does it. Hey, I would love to hear what his thoughts are on the film. If he has anything to say now, maybe I'll look for an interview or two and maybe put it in this uh, recording. We'll see, but um. Shit, this, I, bruh, I, thank you, I don't know, <laughs> thank you, um, please, please remind these folks so they can find you online, support your work, and, and just to see you, hell. So, um, if you want to hear more ramblings like I did today, um, you can follow me on Twitter, um, at loose as a deuce, that's L-O-O-S-E. A-S-A-D-E-U-C-E. Um, that's my tag on Twitter and Instagram, but you won't see me rambling on Instagram because I see the pictures. <laughs> um, as far as, like, work, um, like I said, I'm I'm a scholar academic of a bunch of different things, so you can go to my website, mhaines.org. Um, that links you to everything. And if you want to, because I talked a little bit about creating, too, if you want to see my creative stuff, um, I do work on a, um, I do primarily write, you know, like fantasy type fi- uh, fiction, um, particularly a young adult series that features quite a few um, black queer characters in relationships with each other. Mm. Hey. Mm. Um, so you can find that at my series website, um, The Elemental Series, that's T-H-E-E-L-E-M-E-N-T-A-L-S-E-R-I-E-S.com. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. So make sure to check those links in the show notes, support the work, and hell, just talk to him about his uh, views on this episode. If you agree, you disagree, you like, or whatever, make it a conversation. Uh, remember yes. to use that hashtag, CBN Movie Night, when listening to this show and others in the series. Um, I also want you guys to vote. 
Um, use the hashtag uh, CBN Movie Night, CBN Movie Club. What else would you like to hear me bring on a guest and discuss? Hell, do you want Marcus to come back and talk some shit about something else? Let me know. Let him know. Um, please, please. Yes, please. Now, y'all, uh, let me know what your rating of the movie is, who are your top three favorite characters from the film, any of the answers to the questions that we posed during this discussion. And, of course, I'm Rain Coleman, the Carefree Black Nerd. You can find me on Twitter, Carefree Blurred, everywhere else, Carefree Black Nerd. And um, if you have to email me, carefreeblacknerd at gmail.com. Uh, and until next time, y'all, stay carefree, stay nerdy, stay geeky, and stay the hell out of the Nicarati Manor, I guess. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> All right.